Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name's Marion Rose, PhD, and today I'm so delighted to have on the podcast with me, Maru Rojas, and I'm not going to be able to pray. I practiced it beforehand, didn't I? Maru, I've been pronouncing your name not accurately for all this time. Would you be willing to say it accurately for me? Yeah, it's Maru Rojas. Wonderful. Thank you, lovely. <laughs> and Maru, you're an aware parenting instructor in the UK and you're originally from, I'm also wanting to pronounce accurately, Mexico, <laughs> Mexico for the Spanish English speakers who don't pronounce anything accurately. Anyway, you can see I'm a little bit uncomfortable because I find names really challenging. I always want to really pronounce people's names accurately. And anyway, so there's some younger parts of me here. But let's begin because I'm so excited to be talking to you because you're going to share about your experience of having a really different time with sleep from your first child to your second child and and why that was and how aware parenting made a huge difference. And I love, love, love your story because I think it's so reassuring to parents to see that um, sleep really can be radically different with aware parenting. It really is possible to actually have an incredibly different experience. And I think for you to be sharing that you had such a challenging time and so many parents do, don't they, with sleep and then actually having something that was really very, very different. I think it's so wonderful to share. So welcome, welcome. And would you like to start sharing your story? Like what happened the first time around and how was it? And you might want to share some of the birth story with that too. We'd love to hear. Yeah, thank you. It's a real honour to be here. I feel really excited to be in the podcast today. So yeah, sleep. I'll start with, so I'll say that I have two children. My daughter is going to be five very soon and my son is two, two in a couple of months. And I discovered about parenting when my daughter was around six months, but I'll come to that. I think I'll start with the birth story first, just to share that it was... Uh, well first of all they're obviously different children so there would be different experiences but there's a lot of things that were also very similar in their birth story and that would have normally led to them sleeping in a similar way but it was a web parenting that really transformed and really shifted their sleep so I'll start with my daughter she well basically labor took five days Monday to Friday and she arrived and we were in hospital, which is not what I had planned. So there was a point where everything was going fine and then it didn't go so fine. So obviously I mentioned that because there was a lot of stress and fear on my part and she would have felt that, obviously. And then in hospital, I felt we were together for a couple of hours. Then I looked back at my notes that I got from the hospital and we were together for less than half an hour. So something like 23 minutes. And I was taken away to the operating theatre and she was taken away somewhere else. And so she was with her dad for most of that time. But there were some medical interventions that happened during that time as well. Some needed, some maybe not so needed, but that's what happened. And then we came home a day later and her sleep at the beginning was like a regular, what people expect a regular newborn baby to sleep like. So it started with maybe sleeping for a couple of hours, occasionally three hours. And then it stayed like that. You know, there was like no shift. And it's sort of around 10 weeks. I've looked back at my notes because I've made some notes. And around 10 weeks, it just got worse. <laughs> it got much worse. Uh, and she started waking up crying. And this was a new thing, you know, for the 10 weeks that I'd known her. At least I sort of figured out a little pattern. But I didn't know that she could also wake up crying. 
And I thought there might be something really wrong with her. I remember trying to contact, in, in the UK, we have health visitors who are people who are slightly medically trained and also trained to help parents along the way. And she had no wisdom really to offer. And I considered going to the GP and maybe getting a referral to someone else because it was so strange. And sleep just got progressively worse, you know. So the wake-ups started being maybe every two hours. And then even if she didn't wake up every two hours, she would move around in bed so much that it was impossible to sleep next to her. And we were co-sleeping. And some nights she would want to breastfeed all night. And other nights she would breastfeed for a bit and then sleep for a bit restlessly and then want to breastfeed again. And excuse the language, but it was a shit show. It was, that's how I could describe it. <laughs> that feels really true, but you know, that's how it was. And I can laugh about it now. I wasn't laughing five years ago. Mara, yes. you'd be willing to share a bit how you were feeling, because I think, again, it's so important to really normalise, like, how hard this is. I think my heart goes out yeah. to you back then. Also, just not knowing what's going on and perhaps being worried about why she wake up, why is she restless? And do you want to share yeah. a little bit about how you feel? Because I think it's so important for parents to know they're not alone if they're experiencing yeah, this kind of thing. of course. I think the main thing I was the first to, like, the, the biggest feeling at that time was feeling trapped. Because wherever I looked, the advice was, if you sleep train, all of this will go away. Or you just got to wait it out and see what happens. It will improve one day, one day, who knows when. I did feel it, like, I do remember feeling desperate. I had mornings when I would wake up and I wouldn't call it a wake up. I'd been awake all night or most of the night, either because she was moving and I couldn't sleep or because she was breastfeeding and I couldn't sleep. And I would, you know, the morning would come and the sun would rise and I would be in tears just thinking I've got another day of like spending time with her and looking after her. And my brain is fuzzy. (laughs) My head was fuzzy. And yeah, I felt really desperate and not knowing who to turn to, I guess, as well. I'd also at this point before when I was pregnant with her, Someone that I really respect gave me a book called The Continuum Concept, which I know that you've also read by Jean Nidloff. And it really resonated with me. And I thought, oh, this is the path I want to follow. So all the attachment style parenting things that I was doing. And I remember thinking, gosh, Jean doesn't talk about sleep. <laughs> they do. You know, <laughs> this new babies wake up all the time. How the parents, you know, manage even with a village, like what was happening there? <laughs> And my baby wouldn't have been happy, you know, being picked up in the middle of the night and she wanted to breastfeed. What would happen in that situation? So, yeah, it, it was it was really, really hard times. And I felt, you know, I was kind of at the brink of despair at some point, thinking I can't go on like this and I will do anything. And that anything I, we did, you know, me and my husband discussed sleep training and how that would feel. And maybe it wouldn't be so bad that we just try it for a bit and see what happens. And luckily when she was five months someone mentioned the aware baby and I don't know if they mentioned it because of sleep but they mentioned it and I was like oh this resonates I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it and see what happens and as soon as I bought it I was like oh this is this is the missing piece this is what I was looking for (laughs) and everything just made so much sense and and I say that and also now with hindsight I see that it took me months to really understand away parenting and listening to feelings and control patterns months probably well into a year and it was you know it was it was a really slow road and at the beginning we were just figuring things out so when she would cry in the night I would instead of giving her the boob immediately I might just 
hold her close to me and see what would happen. And sometimes she would go back to sleep. Sometimes she would cry. Sometimes she would still move around. Uh, so this sort of continued until we got more comfortable with listening to feelings and listening to feelings before sleep. And I do also remember thinking, this has got to improve, like straight away. <laughs> like we've done some listening, you know, she cried for 45 minutes. We held her. It was really difficult at the beginning. You know, we would check in with each other. How does that feel? Are you okay? You know, is she, do you think she's in pain? Is she okay? And sleep improved very, very gradually. And we would take a step forward with something that felt maybe a bit better. And then again, it would go back. I remember she hit the like eight, nine month mark and she was still moving a lot, a lot. And for Christmas Eve, we woke up and she'd only woken up twice to feed. And we're like, oh, this is a victory. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I want to join in for a moment to say what you said earlier on before finding where parenting is think has really been given these two options and that's so often the way isn't it that there seems to be only two options with sleep either go down some kind of sleep training route or to just kind of put up with it often for several yeah. years and I talk about the web parenting being the third way with sleep I know that you do as well and I think it's just so helpful isn't it to see there is a third option that's completely different yeah. and I also really hear what you said about just taking it taking some while and it's such a different way of perceiving sleep but all things related to babies and children and human beings and I know for myself as well it's really quite a process isn't it of starting to see things differently and starting to be able to observe things differently in our in our babies or children and so I just really want to acknowledge that as well I find that and I'm sure you do working with parents too it's so normal and natural that it takes time to really kind of get these things and exactly as you said to to try things out and observe and listen into yourselves about whether something feels right or not and to observe yeah. your baby and yeah. just it's such a learning process that happens so individually and uniquely as it well. is and I want to say, you know, up to that point, so for six months, we were doing everything we could to stop her from crying with the understanding that crying was an unmet need or something that we weren't quite doing right. So to shift to from that to actually crying is a healing process, is a healing mechanism was a really big shift. You know, it really took some like unpacking that, OK, she's not in pain. She's not suffering. We're here. So, yeah, it was it's a big shift. Yes, and I think that, I don't know about you, but I found that reassurance by, okay, like exactly as you did, like trying out, okay, and how is she, and am I really sure, and just having, with my daughter, just having fed her recently, just checking all the things, is everything okay, and then observing, and then doing this observational experimental piece, which was, was my background anyway, to go, okay, how is she after listening to feelings, rather than doing everything oh. possible to, to stop them, believing that all feelings indicate an unmet need. And to just yeah. to see more and more and more of those little differences, like more eye contact or more relaxation in the body. And I love how you talk about aware parenting and that just those clear observations like that you saw before the all the wriggling around and moving around during sleep. And as we start to see those things, you know, I found that so much for myself, just really seeing those differences. Oh, there's a bit less moving around. There's a bit more eye contact. There's more smiling. There's more happiness. We get that reassurance, or I certainly do, and, I, and I'm seeing you nodding a lot that, ah, oh, okay, this is actually helpful. 
And I love that about where parenting. It's not because I or you or anyone tells people. Yeah. It's like, does it resonate exactly as you found with reading New Way Baby? That was Aletha Salter's book, obviously, to go, ah, oh, yeah, this makes sense. This resonates. And to try it out and to observe and to keep observing. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Because it becomes it is, yeah, embodied experience. Yeah, it, I mean, it's completely obviously changed my life finding the Aware Baby and Aware Parenting in general. So, yeah, so that was kind of where we were with my daughter and eventually sleep did improve, but it left a big scar on me as in, you know, I we really thought about we want to have more children. And I was very conscious if I cannot repeat this experience like ever again, <laughs> ever again. And there is a part that I wouldn't because I had this knowledge, but there's also a piece of me that was doubting whether it would be different second time around. And I really held off on the idea of having more children. And a big part of that was the sleep side of things. It does kind of, you know, leave symptoms in my body and feelings. And whenever, if my son did wake up, you know, does wake up uh, in the the middle of night, my stress response is immediately like... (gasps) is it you know is it happening again is it happening again I have to reassure myself that it's it's not happening it's very difficult yes and I really want to name that in terms of where parenting so much about understanding stress and trauma that actually Mm. what you experienced as a mother and what so many parents experience is actually either very stressful or actually traumatic and that actually there's so often a healing process that parents need to go through of like because you feel that stress response in yourself and that fear and I have also heard many parents actually and even decide not to have another child because of they just not willing to go through that again so yeah. also I'm just sending you so much love and any parent who's experienced that fear of like cannot you cannot possibly go through that again and of course we talk about sleep deprivation being a form of torture I mean it really yes. is horrific isn't yeah. it and the powerlessness and the horror of just another day without any sleep so yeah my heart goes yeah. out to lovely and, and again I so appreciate you sharing this and actually sharing what's possible instead yeah thank you <laughs> so eventually we did we did have a second child and by this point I was a night parenting instructor um when he was born and I I felt that I was comfortable listening to feelings and I could see when he was born that there was still a part that was a little bit reluctant. But we started listening to, so I shall share the birth story. It was similar in that he was born at home and his labor was three hours start to finish and it was wonderful. And then we did end up going to hospital, like with my daughter. And very similar, he was with me this time for a couple of hours and then we were separated. There weren't, he didn't go through any medical interventions. So there is that part that he didn't go through, but we were separated and we were in a hospital setting for a whole day again before we were able to come home. And I should say that the separation also, now that I understand the way parenting much more deeply, I can see the effect that it had in my daughter because she wasn't able to heal from it very early on. And so with my son, the separation was exactly the same. You know, we were apart for a couple of hours and then we were together again and the experience with him was completely different first of all I picked up on okay so this happened I was stressed he must have been stressed you know there was an ambulance outside my house that was stressful for everyone we were in a hospital setting and then you know all so all of these things and I imagine there would be some feelings around that if not some trauma from it and so I felt comfortable to start listening to his feelings sometime around three or four weeks. 
And I think we also had a chat when he was around five weeks. And maybe I didn't realize at that time that babies get so easily distracted from their feelings. And that even inadvertently, we were doing very slight distractions, like rubbing his back when he was a little bit fussy in the sling and that sort of thing. The, the change in his sleep. So he started sleeping again, a little bit like a newborn. And that was really difficult those first three weeks. It was like, did we make a mistake? <laughs> Are we going back? And, and you know, I, I called my mom, who's in Mexico, and I said, you've got to come over right now and just help me. I'm, you know, I, I can't deal with these feelings. I just need, I need a little bit of space. And so she came over when he was oh, my heart five weeks old. I can't, I, can't <laughs> I, can, I just feel almost tearful imagining that, oh no, the fear and the reconnecting with the yeah. moms from first time around. And of course, from the aware parenting perspective, that's how we're designed to heal from that. Yeah. You might not have got as much listening that you needed as well from that mm, time of mm. actually how traumatic that was for you and yeah. you needing to, yeah. to share and cry and so how normal that is if we don't get to heal from something that that then shows up again when we're in a similar exactly. situation so yeah oh my yeah. god goes out to you I, and I'm so yeah. glad that you called for your, to your mother for help yes it's <laughs> to me isn't it like I need help yeah. come I need help <laughs> Um, it was still actually there was still pandemic time so it's, it's only she came my dad didn't come it was like we just need some help just you know get her over here uh, and and actually by the time she came so she arrived when he was five weeks by that point we were more comfortable listening to feelings every evening and things started to just fall into place a bit more and so I my mum also did a lot of listening to feelings we sort of said well you're here now so I'm gonna go to bed and wear some earplugs my husband's gonna do other things study at the kitchen put my other child to bed do that other thing you just sit here and listen to his feelings (laughs) so she did and because we're talking about sleep I'll share that part and I'll say that his sleep suddenly just completely shifted from a couple of weeks and because he was so young so you know it's different when they're six months and they've got six months of accumulated feelings he was five six weeks old and I think by nine or ten weeks old he was sleeping 9 p.m till pretty much 5 a.m 4 a.m sometimes so big long chunk of the night one more thing that we did differently is that we did see a craniosacral therapist when he was about two weeks old so I want to mention that and acknowledge that there was also a piece of you know maybe releasing some tension she mentioned around his neck we didn't see a craniosacral therapist with my daughter until she was two years old. So that was a big difference. But his sleep, you know, was just completely different, not just during at night, but also during the day. So he would sleep on the floor. He would sleep in the sling. He would, you know, be transferred from one place to the other, from the car seat to the cot, from the cot to the sling, from wherever he needed to go, he's been. And as people with more than one child know, the second child also gets sort of, you know, there's there's less time to just figure out their schedules and there's more like, well, this is what we do and you come along for it. But in that sense, he would just be transferred to different places and sleep when he needed to sleep and be awake when he needed to be awake. And at night, the night suddenly transformed and where his sleep was very restful. We still co-sleep. At no point did I feel that I couldn't sleep because he was in my sleep space or kicking me or stroking my arm or wanting to breastfeed when he wasn't hungry. And actually, I think he stopped breastfeeding at night very early on as well and just sleeping. We still, you know, we still breastfeed, but it's during the day and it's never been a control pattern like it was with my daughter. So, yeah, it's been a completely different experience. Oh. <laughs> it's like, ah, it's nearly like angels. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And I imagine for, for those parts of you that felt that fear and that concern about what about the repetition, to that relief of like how different it can be. And actually, yeah. again, really that third way that that you can have all the beautiful things related to attachment. So the, the co-sleeping and the closeness and responding in a really attuned ways to cues and like really observing and understanding what's going on. But also actually getting really restful, lovely sleep, and also yes. quite <laughs> And actually, those things are often seen as completely opposite. And to see that actually, from the way a parenting perspective, you really can have both. And yeah, so beautiful, isn't it? And we've just seen as well how you know because the journey with him was different. When if he has a night, I'm obviously I'm excluding illness, but if he has a night when, for example, he's a little bit restless or he wakes up a little bit earlier than his usual time. That is an, indica- an indicator and we go like, okay, there's some feelings here. And so we focus on listening to the feelings and he usually has a cry and goes back to his usual pattern, sleeps like a rock, wakes up at his usual time. But it really got to this point where like it, it is an indicator. So some feelings, feelings accumulate, they show up in his sleep and we go, oh, right, yeah, we listen to feelings and that's, you know obviously has that effect. Whereas yeah. with my daughter, because we started later, you know, that took a big, like, a long time to shift. There's all these feelings underneath and all these things preventing her from sleeping restfully. Yes, yes. And again, how normal and natural it is like for each child, if parents who are practicing aware parenting if we, with each child, the more confidence we get and you're in aware parenting structure the second time around. And I so resonate with my journey, even though I started aware parenting with my daughter at three months it also took me a long time to realize all the ways I still wasn't listening to her feelings and with my son four and a half years later and being a web parenting instructor also I was like yep you know starting from day dot and like really of course we can learn through experience and I think that's what we both offer as instructors we want to support parents and actually this episode as well so that they don't need to take as long as we did there's not as much and time we they can learn from yeah. our experiences but also that it is a, a journey of experimenting I also wanted to say something about the because we've talked elsewhere about this as well <laughs> rather than the you know like oh shush the baby's sleeping shush, and trying to move them from one place to the next to that and waking up and everyone being quiet and all of that stuff to actually we're going to have a conversation about this later in another episode I think about more indigenous cultures and traditional cultures and the whole colonization process that actually Babies and children, I would say it's more about them fitting into the culture and actually just kind of living life and they will fall asleep when they're tired and if they're connected and relaxed and we don't need to be quiet, we don't need to be planning everything around sleep time. So actually it just brings so much more ease to life, doesn't it, to go, oh, that they can sleep and things can be noisy and they just stay asleep because they feel this deep level of relaxation because they've expressed a whole chunk of feelings so it's not this kind of superficial relaxation from the jiggling or the rocking or the feeding or the whatever we've done to, to try to make yeah. it relaxed. And it's just, it's so much more a relief, isn't it? I just found it was such a relief. I know like my children's babies, they would just sleep and I didn't need to be planning out my whole day around, oh my gosh, you know, oh no, mm. I can't do that. So yeah, I trust that they'll, I'll be able to support them to do, to sleep. Yeah. And I want to provide some reassurance as well that he, you know, he went through phases like babies do. And he was, my, whereas my daughter always had like long naps during the day with or without jigging and all of that, but she did. And my son went through phases and and for a big phase, because I, I hear parents worrying, it's half an hour too short for a nap. It's 45 minutes long enough. He went through a phase of only sleeping half an hour. And it was, you know, it's definitely more tiring and more exhausting because then you've like, okay, now you're up. Now we got to, you know, there's no like a longer break. But I had 
like a deep trust that this was what he needed and he woke up and he was happy and he seemed rested and he seemed content so you know we carried on with the day and when he seemed tired again he would sleep and sometimes for this period of a, like a month or a month and a half it would be for half an hour and eventually without me having to do anything he's you know obviously naps also transformed and he shifted his patterns and one and two yeah so just wanting to validate that babies are coming all sorts of different colors and shapes and needs and that we can really trust them to know what they need when you know they're expressing those feelings and they're relaxed and yeah oh Maru I'm so glad that you said that one of the reasons I'm doing this series is because I'm writing a book about sleep and aware parenting and making another course and yesterday because I never normally research kind of mainstream parenting and yesterday I was doing some research about what's going on out there in the world and I was actually so shocked I had a headache by the end of the day probably need to have a cry because you know all the things that parents are told about sleep windows and sleep regressions and the exact amount of time that you need to put your baby to sleep and then wake them up and do all these things and I just oh my god that just sounds so stressful compared to you know of course, oh it's so stressful but we haven't been there the first time oh, around oh. I remember reading somewhere oh. that you should respond to your baby's tired cues so if they yawn more than three times this is something I actually read. I'm not making it up. <laughs> you are more than three times. They're overtired. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I remember trying to get her to sleep before she yawned for the third time because otherwise, like, the baby's going to implode. What's going to happen? I know. I just think, oh, my God, my heart goes out to parents and just seeing it so out there everywhere. I feel a little bit shocked. And, of course, from the way parenting perspective, there isn't the term overtired. And what I was seeing, of course, in other paradigms is, what they're perceiving as overtired was things like crying or back arching or sweating. And these are all things that we see are completely normal, natural things that babies have this beautiful relaxation process to release feelings before they go to sleep so that they can sleep for longer and all the things that you've shared. And so it's such a different thing, isn't it, about really trusting babies around this, around this panic of, oh, my God, I need to get them to go to sleep straight away. It's like, Ah, oh, okay. They're tired. Okay. Have I got the spaciousness to, to sit down and to just to be present and just to listen to those feelings? It's a completely different approach. And just, yes, it's a big thing to, to get comfortable with listening to feelings, but oh my God, in terms of just being able to be with our babies, I was thinking it's, it's almost like seeing babies as some kind of a machine. And it's so, again, so relevant to the whole colonization piece and industrialization that, you know, babies they should go to sleep at X time and have X amount of sleep. And if they don't, you need to worry rather than just trusting that our relationship and our connection with our babies and our observing them and our learning about aware parenting and what to look for, it just creates a whole different experience. And I, I know for me, I just focused on meeting as many of my children's needs as babies as I could and listening to as many feelings as I could and trusting that the more I did that, the more sleep they would get and the more easy the sleep would be. And that was the way. And it's just, it's so much nicer, I think, than all that stress mm. about doing something by somebody else's clock. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the other thing I want to say, I loved hearing about your mom and listening to feelings. I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that, but I had that similar experience too. The first time around, my mom going, oh, no, no, crying. And her experience and just over time, also her getting much more used to crying and listening to holding my son and listening to long bouts of crying in arms and just how beautiful that was and how we get to not only change these core beliefs about feelings, not only down the lineage, but up the lineage too. Do you want to say anything about that? Um, yeah, I'm so grateful to her for, well, first for being there and for being open 
you know, I will say that my mum is really open and I can tell that she finds some things hard and she was finding this really hard, but she was willing and she held my son and sometimes it would be 20 minutes and I could see that she was starting to feel tense and, you know, she would often ask, am I doing this right? I think he's not stopping, so I must be doing something wrong. And I said, no, you're doing everything right. That's, you know, this is part of the process. But it was wonderful and it was healing because I know that she wasn't able to offer that kind of listening to me or my sister either. Yeah. Mm, so beautiful, hey? So that healing process, are you observing her? That I imagine that was helpful for the younger parts of you who didn't get to experience that. It's mm. so powerful, isn't it? The, the level of healing where parenting offers the whole family. Ah, so beautiful. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to share in terms of sleep and how it is now or just anything else that you haven't shared so far? Uh, I guess the only thing is we've shifted our sleeping arrangements around as we've grown as a family. And the, the thing with my daughter is that at one point she was moving around so much in her sleep that it became unsustainable to be co-sleeping, both of us, because there, there was, you know, two adults and a baby in the bed. So we shifted things around and then there was one adult sleeping next to her and the other would get a good night's sleep. And I mentioned this because different arrangements work for different families. And this is what allowed us to still meet her needs for connection and figure out what to do with sleep while it also allowed the other person to get some good, you know, a, a good night's sleep on their own. And the configuration has changed a lot. And I think there isn't a one size fits all solution for this kind of meeting the needs of connection at night for us it currently looks like my daughter sleeps in her bedroom and we have a pull-out bed so either me or my husband will sleep with her we kind of shift around and then the other person will be my son because we live in London and we don't have a lot of space in terms of big beds and big rooms so yeah just an invitation to parents to really figure out what works for you because I think I also felt pushed at some point to, well, now that she's in a separate room, maybe we should try to just get her into her bedroom at some point, you know, when she was around two years old. And because my son was, you know, I was pregnant, so he was going to arrive soon. I thought, well, maybe that is the best for her to sleep in her own room. And when my son arrived, she was sleeping in her own room. And so we were meeting those needs for connection in a different way. But I also felt a sense of, like, this must be really unfair. It must feel really unfair to her that we all share a bed and she's in her own room. Uh, so eventually we went back to the okay so how do we figure this out and can we forget what society is telling me that she should be sleeping in her own room and what is working for us right now okay and this configuration actually gives everyone the best sleep you know it's it, like all four of us we get all our needs met and it works in terms of space so yeah that would be my invitation to parents yeah, it's so beautiful, isn't it? To really often say to parents, just don't tell anyone else what you're doing. Just play with the arrangements and see what fits for you as a family. And I think there's so much shaming and judgment around what parents do in their own homes with their own children. And actually to go, you're the parent now. So whatever your own parents say or your, your friends or whoever, the person on Instagram is like, what resonates with you? And to keep keep exploring and playing with things so things aren't working out and Another thing that I've also seen a lot is that, like you shared about if a baby's wiggling around and moving a lot, often parents will think that that means that they need their own, they need to be in a cot in their own room. And actually, the, and often the change that comes when they realize the wriggling, that's agitation from accumulated feelings. So that actually when they start listening to feelings, that actually that there becomes the possibility of sleep 
and closeness. And again, in whatever configuration that may look like, depending on the house and the temperature and the culture that we live in, (laughs) there's always going to be a way for everyone to get their needs met. We might need to play around with that. And that will change at different ages and continues to change. And experience that as children grow and change and things are stressful. They might feel called to come back to coast sleeping again. But again, it's that relief, isn't it, of just getting to choose, listening to our own family, not what someone else tells us we should or shouldn't do. Yes, absolutely. Ah, yeah, I'm sorry. Is there anything you'd like to say, particularly to parents that maybe are having a similar experience to what you were having the first time around, who perhaps are feeling desperate right now, or just really stressed or exhausted, or maybe even considering going down the sleep training route? Is there anything that you might like to offer to them? Um, well, I guess if, if they're listening to this podcast, somehow they've come to the right, the right path, the third way. <laughs> and just you know, to know that there is a third way. And I'm guessing a lot of the parents who also come to this podcast would have come via the attachment parenting style. And there is a lot of pressure also in this attachment parenting to just kind of like let babies be babies. And it's normal for them to wake up several times a night, well into their first and second year. And it's normal for them to want to breastfeed. And it's normal. So really offering compassion because it's hard when you're feeling the pressure on both sides and you can't seem to get it right. And you're also exhausted and your head, you know, you feel like you're not thinking clearly, you're not yourself. No amount of coffee is going to help you through that day. (laughs) You really, you know, tune into yourselves and explore the listening to feelings. And I will say the daytime sleep improved significantly, pretty much immediately. The nighttime sleep took its time because of all the accumulation of feelings that my daughter had and you know children experience and because she had experienced such a long and possibly traumatic birth so all of these things play played a part in her sleep and so I would say the same to parents to I guess observe with the word parenting the differences and <clears throat> to perhaps not expect that sleep at night will change overnight and get as much support as you can that will allow you to get some rest and some form at other points during the day. Yeah, and that this approach does, it does work. It does make a difference in baby sleep. And that's how we're all meant to sleep in a relaxed and comfortable state. Ah, that could be a bumper sticker, couldn't it? Or a, definitely a, an Instagram meme. <laughs> this is how we're all <laughs> meant to sleep in a relaxed yes. and comfortable state, including babies and babies. Mm-hmm. And if they're actually not relaxed and they are wriggling and moving around and just wake up at the slightest thing that they, that usually tells us that there's something going on. And as you've mentioned, that, that of course we take into account where we're parenting physiological things like illness or allergies or EMFs, washing powder, or whatever it is. So I always just take that for granted that everyone's going to check out those things first. But if you've already done all that stuff and the baby's still wriggling and jiggling around, that's actually exactly as you said, we're all meant to sleep with a sense of relaxation in our bodies. Mm-hmm yeah yum oh I so love how you share your stories and so looking forward you're going to be talking more about other things coming back to talk about elimination communication and also I think about yeah as I said colonization all that piece as well but so if people are wanting to find out more about your work which I so recommend everyone come and do where can they find out about what you do and what are you offering at the moment that parents can come and find out about so I've got my website is called parent 
everything together and it's parenttogether.co.uk and you can find me on Instagram mari.rojas with I think two underscores on either side so that's kind of complicated to spell but I'm sure you'll find me if you type mari.rojas I'll also put the links in the show notes as well thank yeah. you yeah that'll be easier turn <laughs> to people trying to decipher how to spell Mari yes um, and think people can also find you on Rebecca Sheep's website which is Aware Parenting yes. in the UK so if you ever want to find anyone go to awareparenting.com which is Aletha's website and then you can find the regional coordinators and go to their websites and then you can find your instructors so yes. that's also another way that's right yeah yeah and in terms of offerings, I have an we're parenting mother circle starting in May. Yay. Yeah, Yay. it's the second series of circles that I'm running, and I've really, really enjoyed connecting with other mothers who are practicing we're parenting at whatever stage they're doing in. But yeah, it's just a space to come together and and we talk about different aspects for we're parenting. And that's an online space, so it's for anybody around it is. the world who wants to join in. Yeah, yum. So important, isn't it? So necessary to have those spaces to be sharing. Just it was essential to practicing yeah. that parenting. Yeah. And I do have a couple of offerings. I well, I have my I call it a potty mastery course, and I've pretty much just finished re-recording a new version, which I'm really happy with. Yay! Um, yeah, it's all based around the whole idea that is that learning to use a toilet is about learning to recognize your body signals. And so how we support children with that, if you haven't done elimination communication. And actually, there is a little piece for parents who've done elimination communication and may want to move on to transition to the toilet as well. So, yeah, I've got that course. It's not live yet, but it will be live very soon. Um, so that'll be on your website, obviously. That will be on my website. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I also have a, I do a toddler's workshop two or three times every year. So the next one will be coming up in June. Yeah, you can find all of that on my website. Yeah. Oh, I love what you do, Mario, and I love what you bring to Aware Parenting. And I so appreciate this conversation. I just think to really, yeah, for parents to see like the two completely different experiences, I think is so helpful. And yeah, so I appreciate you coming and sharing, particularly as you're just about off <laughs> to hop on a plane tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. And, I'm glad we could work it out, Marion. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so thank you, thank you, and so much love to you, and so much love to, to all the listeners. And if you are going through a, a big time with sleep at the moment, please reach out for support. Please just get any of the resources that you can get for, with Aware Parenting. There's so many around sleep, and, and reach out for support with an Aware Parenting instructor. You also do one-on-one sessions, Maru. I also do one-on-one, yeah, and yes. I think that was a real, also a real shift when we started doing Aware Parenting to really understand a theory from someone and it was Rebecca yes. who we were in touch with who was I think there were only like two instructors in the UK back then and now yeah. there's lots so Yay. that's great <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, so um, yeah carry on sorry yeah and I was gonna say I really recommend that doing that finding someone you resonate with and having a consultation like a one-to-one yeah, me too. It's absolutely life changing. I remember doing that with Aletha back in the day when when my children were little. And yeah, so I so recommend working with you, Maru, or as you say, if they're really checking in as always with the web parenting is not only what resonates with you, but who resonates with you, because there's going to be someone different for each person. So yeah, but thank you so much for sharing. I so look forward to coming and talking to you the next time and so much love. Thank you, Marion. <laughs> thank you, lovely. Bye.